Now, um, our series is starting with an, an odd kind of a, a picture, a, a situation, cultural wars. And I want to say this morning, it's entirely possible that the biggest, the highest barrier or wall to this annual cultural tug of war lies between those that believe that a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary gave birth to the Son of God at Christmas time when we celebrate it. Um, so we have this one group of people who believe that, and then we have another group of people who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God born at Christmas time. Any of that? We got these, these, these two groups that are definitely kind of battling it out. And, and the, the bottom line is the seemingly irreconcilable difference is, in fact, the Christmas story itself. It's, like, it's almost like they have, they're, they're okay with everything else in the Bible, but the Christmas story, everyone goes, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out, time out. I mean, there's so much miraculous, there's so much amazing, there's so much unbelievable stuff in the biblical narrative, right? Many just simply... They don't buy it. That, that all seems kind of impossible. Um, the assumption is that somewhere along the line, a they uh, kind of had to create a creation story, trying to, try to give Jesus street cred, right? You know, someone has to come up with something because all the other ancient gods had some kind of incredible birth story. Um, but for a lot of people, if someone can predict their own death and their own resurrection, it becomes less of an issue as in how they came into the world. I'm just saying that this, I want to make the point that Christmas isn't the crux of our faith. You all understand that. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus at Easter. That, and then strangely enough, people are okay with that. But the Christmas story, they just, there's something about the Christmas story that just, it, it sets people all a weird. Um, but again, as remarkable as the birth story is, as remarkable as the birth story is, it's the backstory of the birth story that's truly crazy amazing. The backstory of the Christmas story. And in the backstory, it doesn't begin with a young couple um, trying to figure out, you know, how Mary got pregnant. That's kind of what they, that was their discussion every evening. So, you know, I, I don't even want to be a part of that discussion. Um, how did she, how she got pregnant? The backstory begins about 2,000 years before Mary and Joseph. Starts with another couple and they're like really old. They're not like like really young, they're really old, and they can't have kids. She's barren, the woman. Very old couple who believes that they will never have a baby. But that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? That's where the, the, the backstory actually hits the ground. But, but the backstory actually begins with a crazy promise from God made to a guy named Abram. Um, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. And again, it's not just any kind of promise. It's an unbelievable to Abraham. Abram at the time, an unbelievable, incoherent, and impossible promise. It was completely unbelievable because in the mind of the recipient, this, I mean, he simply could not conceive of what is going to be promised him in that first few verses of chapter 12. Um, it was incoherent. It was basically gibberish to Abram. Everything that God says in, in Abram's experience and in his part of the world, in his culture, what God was promising did not match up. It was literally incoherent, gibberish. And finally, it was impossible, just straight up impossible. Um, but it's this promise that makes the Christmas story so incredibly remarkable and so incredibly believable. 
the backstory. I want to show you a map of Abram um, just very quickly because I'm a school teacher and I just got to kind of do this kind of thing. Um, you all hear about in Genesis that, that God called Abram um, from the land of Ur to uh, go to a new land that he's promised him. Um, if you're wondering, Ur is way down here in the bottom right corner and that, that I'm guessing it's a dark green. That's the fertile crescent. And so he's going to go up and then down. Um, and where our story takes place, he's from the land of Ur, but he's actually living in Haran, way up there at the top. That's, that's where Terah, his family, all the tribe, all the clan, all the cousins, all the aunts and uncles, they all live there in Haran. And so we're going to pick up our story there. Genesis 12, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse, chapter 12, verse 1. There we go. Thought I'd get it. Says this, the Lord had said to Abram, again, if you're confused, he's going to get his name changed eventually, Abraham. Okay, this isn't a typo. Thank you very much. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Again, we have no idea why God chose Abram. Basically, God's saying, leave everything behind. Now, when you hear that, I would just ask you, did your heart skip a beat when I got to everything? Because with Abram, that wasn't the big deal. It wasn't that he had to leave everything behind. It was like the behind thing was the big issue with Abram. Um, without family, without your clan, without your tribe, whether you're rich or poor, you're a dead man walking. In that part of the world, you don't just go out on your own. You were protected by your family, your clan, your tribe. And you didn't venture too far away because then you would run into other families, other clans, other tribes, and they would kill you. They were not very receptive to you. So you had to be a part of something. There, wasn't a, there was just no idea, this, this idea of the individual, that just, that, that just was inconceivable, right? So leave everything. And it wasn't, again, everything. It was like, leave everything behind. And God continues, and I will tell you when to stop. And the promise continues in verse 2. It says, I will make you into a great nation. Now understand that Abram at this time is 74 years old. He's got no kids. And Abram is probably thinking, I would be happy just to be a great granddad, right? <laughs> You're promising me that I'm going to be the father of nations? Hey, give me a grandkid. At this point, I'm not even hoping for kids. I'm hoping that somehow I'll marry in somehow, and then I'm going to end up with a, with a grandkid or, or something, right? Let's start with that. Um, but the promise continues. says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Basically, I'm going to make you famous. And again, Abram, probably not. <laughs> And I'm probably going to be forgotten. Listen, if I leave everyone I know and everything I know, people will probably never even remember that I existed. Because who am I going to tell? I'm going to be on my own. I'm going to be away from my family, my clan, my tribe. And you're calling me. Who, who's going to know what I did? I can't, you know, jump on the Internet. And I, I'm leaving everything. The promise continues. First. Two, continued. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Again, this was a time of incredible, incredible violence. People weren't in the habit of blessing people who weren't a part of their family, clan, or tribe. But God continues, don't worry about all that. Nothing will get in the way, Abraham. And Abram and Abram's like, well, well, why not? How can you promise that? Listen to what happens next in verse 3. Here's why. Because I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Basically, hey, Abram. I'm going to be a part of this journey. I'm not sending you out on your own. I'm going to go with you. And this journey, this story isn't going to stop with you. It's going to continue with your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. And I'm going to be a part of their story too. 
in this passage, God is saying, look, I'm not sending you out alone. I'm sending you out alongside me, and we're going to do some amazing things. I'm going to be a part of this story to the very, 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 very end. Nothing is going to stop it. And then the promise goes kind of off the crazy train rails here in verse 3. It says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Every single person on earth will eventually one day be blessed through you, Abram. And again, at this time of the world, people, they conquer each other, right? They enslave each other. They plunder each other. They don't bless each other. One people group, they don't bless another people group. That is unheard of. And this God is telling Abraham, through you, you're going to be blessing all the clans and all the families and all the tribes of the world. And again, in Abraham's hands, this makes zero sense in my cultural experience, in my life experience. Nothing that you're saying makes sense, oh God. And this morning, I just want to ask you, and this is kind of an introductory um, time in our service. What promises has God given you? that seem unbelievable, that seem incoherent, and that seem impossible. Now, I had a promise early on in my, my pastoral ministry that, that God would, wherever he told me to go, I would go. That was kind of the deal, right, when he called me to be a minister. And everywhere he's called me to go, I've gone. And at one point in our lives, we end up with these two beautiful little grandkids up here in Washington, and I'm a California boy. I tell you what, Washington was like, send me to hell, God, whatever, you know. Sorry, I've learned it's a beautiful place. Wonderful place. Love the place. Um, but at that point, this, this, this church opened up, and I remember telling Diane, stop. Just, just stop it. That's not the way God works. Apparently, he does. I, you know, I was like, wow. And it was the impossible, incoherent unbelievable promise. And I just want you to know that, that, that Bobby and Dan are kind of now reliving, just so that you're aware of this, kind of what my wife and I kind of went through because they've been struggling just a little bit. They've been trying to do some things and they just feel like a change needed to be made. So he had talked with our, our district superintendent and somehow I got, you know, and then, and the whole thing happened. So I, I think right now um, in your prayer time, remember Bobby and Dan, um, it seems in their life that God has come through with the unbelievable, the incoherent, the impossible dream. Um, talking with on, on the phone, he's just beyond excited. They, they, literally, he's saying, I really didn't think anything would ever happen. I would just kind of die here and I wouldn't do what I, be able to do what I feel like God has called me to do. I just like, well, I guess it dies. And when I talk to him now, oh man, he's so, it, it's contagious, very, very, very exciting. All right, so I want to ask you this morning that we're going to enter a time of prayer right now. What dream has God given you that seems to be, now we've got to be careful about this. Maybe it is impossible, incoherent, and unbelievable because it's not God's dream, it's yours. So I, I just want to ask you, as you look at this, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, that at this point in your life, it doesn't make any kind of sense. Therefore, it's going to be impossible. It's just straight up unbelievable. What is he? Maybe it's a reconciliation of a couple. Maybe it's bringing some kids back into the faith. Maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but every single one of us, I believe, there are promises that we're kind of hanging on to and we're, we're, we're debating whether to jettison that promise. Like, it's not going to happen. must have been me. And not God. 
So right now, I just want to ask us all to, we're going to spend some time in prayer, just a few minutes here. Our worship team is going to come back up here. We're going to continue to sing praises to our Lord and Savior. Um, But during this prayer time, what has God called you to? And and again, maybe at this point, you're just thinking, ah, maybe it was the pizza that night. I, you know, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot. My call, I've been through stages where my wife and I, we sit down and then she says, are you sure God called you? It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I mean, really, that, that's our conversation. I, I think so. That's, well, what do you, what do you think? Because a lot rides on it, Jerry. It's like, I know that. I know that, Diane. Um, but maybe you're in that same boat and you're thinking, wow, he's calling us to do what? And your, your husband or your spouse is going, what? And they don't know if you're on crack or what. I mean, you know, they're just like, what? Are you gotten into that whole Washington thing? You smoking weed now? So we need to pray right now. That number one, that's not the situation. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, but that God would, would make it clear to you to keep praying. Don't stop, because we're going to find out this morning in our story, the Israelites didn't stop, God didn't stop. Um, the Israelites should have stopped. <laughs> they should have stopped like a 20 different times. But they never gave up. And God never gave up on them. Bow your heads. Fathers... You call us to do so many things that at first they just don't make any sense. Lord, when you called me to ministry, it didn't make any sense. I just thought, well, I guess God makes mistakes. And, and I struggled with that, Father, and you know this. And I, and I think the people in this room, even right now, they're struggling uh, with clarity. They, they feel you leading them to something, something big, um, whether it's fear that they're backing off from, whether it's um, the unknown, whatever it is, we, we back off just a little bit and think, well, everything will be fine. But God is saying, I'm not about fine. I want to move from fine to great. And it's going to require somebody to do something in this room, probably a bunch of us, to do something that we're not comfortable doing, we've never done before. It's unnatural. It seems like it's not supposed to be. But you call us to these unbelievable, incoherent, seemingly impossible calls. And so this morning, I know that's happening. I I just know that's happening all over the place in this room. By the power of your spirit, Father, would the barriers fall this morning? That that maybe the message is clear, but we we have these barriers of unbelief built up all around us, and we just don't want to accept such a crazy story that, that that could actually be true in our lives. Father, remove the walls this morning. Remove the barriers by way of your scripture, by the way of your, your spirit, by way of this body, by way of all the, the, the tools that you use um, that, that folks in this room would know that you are faithful. And if that promise was given, that promise will be fulfilled, period. So, Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We, fought, we thank you for being a deliverer of dreams, big dreams and big visions, bigger than we can anticipate. Father, if they were easy, then we wouldn't need you. Everything would be believable. Everything would be possible. Everything would be coherent. Um, but your call is always so big, Father, that we've got to go through that darkness sometimes. The dark night of the soul, theologians call it. Knowing that you're there, but we can't hear you. But knowing that you're there, 
Father, we can even hear your silence. <laughs> that's you not giving in to what we would really like, and that's for you to maybe just have somebody else do it. Sometimes, Father, your silence is deafening. Father, this morning, speak into our lives in that quiet, reassuring voice that the promise is still on. The big promise is still on and a whole lot of other promises are still on because you gave them and you're the author of our faith and you don't stop until that is completed. Father, I thank you for that right now. What's going to happen in lives years from now, in the lives of the people in this room, you're going to complete aspects of their story and they're going to look back and go, wow, I'm so glad I didn't give up on the promise. It was real. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for Richland Church of the Nazarene. The fact that we preach the gospel that we preach the name of Jesus, that people are finding Jesus and their lives are being transformed. It's a process. We'd like to happen just like that, but Lord, you know it's a process and you work right alongside us. And in, like in the story we're looking at this morning, you're going to walk alongside us the entire way and you're going to walk with us all the way to the, to the completion. And we thank you for this right now in advance. We thank you, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So the Christmas story, the unbelievable, incoherent, impossible backstory. Crazy story. It starts off with Abram, is eventually renamed Abraham. We know that. His wife gets a rename again. She's now Sarah. They eventually have a son named Isaac. Uh, they also have another son by the name of Ishmael. Many believe him to be the father of the Arabic culture. Um, you all heard the movie, Handmaiden's Tale. Uh, that's in, that, that's the whole Genesis chapter 16 story, in case you're wondering what that connection is. So go home and read chapter 16 and go see that crazy movie. So now if it helps, I'm going to give you a little visual here as I kind of walk through the backstory. I'm going to kind Kind of go quickly. This isn't a history class, but the backstory, once you really understand the backstory, the Christmas story becomes even more amazing, right? So we have Abram and he's got two sons, um, Isaac and Ishmael. And for God's own reasons, he decides the promise is not going to go through Ishmael, the firstborn, but through Isaac, who wasn't the firstborn, right? The, the promise is going to come through Isaac. Well, Isaac's got um, two sons also, Jacob and Esau. And, and once again, the promise should have gone through the older one, Esau but because of family dysfunction. I mean, yeah, read the stories here in Genesis and, and, and if you want to feel good about your family, um, yeah, read through these and you're just going to go, wow, we're doing an amazing, an amazing job. Um, so Isaac, uh, eventually Jacob uh, has a son, Jacob, and Esau, Jacob gets his name changed. He was the deceiver. Uh, then he becomes known as one who contends for God, wrestles after the things that are important um, to God. So then we have Jacob and his, and he eventually gets the name Israel again. Um, and he got 12 sons, the favorite of which is Joseph. You all heard about Joseph, technicolor coat. I'm kind of filling this in for those of you who aren't real familiar with this whole backstory. Um, so Joseph and his 11 brothers, um, his 11 brothers, they decide they don't like like Joseph because he's daddy's favorite and he kind of lords it over them. Like he's got a dream where he tells them, oh, by the way, you're all going to be bowing down to me. That ticked them all off because he was the, you know, the younger one. And so 
he uh, decides, they, they decide instead of killing him, they're going to sell him into slavery. Well, Joseph ends up in Egypt. Y'all remember Potiphar's wife tries to make a move on him, because he, but he's a good guy. So he, no, no, away from you, evil woman. Um, but she screams, oh, he rape, whatever. And so he gets put in prison. He eventually gets pulled out of prison and he becomes like number two in the whole kingdom, Joseph, right? So in the meantime, back in the land of Canaan, there's a famine. So Jacob, excuse me, now Israel decides with his 12 sons, let's go down to Egypt where they have lots of grain because there's no grain here in the land of Canaan. So they go down and lo and behold, who do they meet? Their brother, long sold into slavery and thought they, he was dead. Um, eventually, the entire clan ends up in Egypt. And eventually, just like the promise, they do become a nation, but they're a nation of slaves. Right? Now, how's this promise going to be fulfilled through a nation of slaves? And again, nobody's feeling very blessed, and, and they're certainly not in a position to bless any other nation because they're a nation of slaves. And then God sends a deliverer, a guy named Moses. Y'all remember Moses? Eventually, Moses rescues the nation with a series of crazy plagues, right? This happens about between 1300 B.C. and about 1450 B.C. Eventually, they make their way across the desert. Um, it takes 40 years. Long story short, that was a really long time out, right? The Israelites were disobedient, so God's like 40 years of time out um, until all the current generation that disobeyed. This is the longest time out in the world. Um, you're on time out until you all die, don't mess with God. <laughs> just saying. Uh, eventually, they make their way into the promised land, ancient Canaan. They're led by Joshua. And understand, again, this was a brutal and violent. Go home and read the book of Joshua. And you're just going to go, whoa. And again, to us, it seems so unnecessarily violent. We're thinking, why? Why? We have a whole bunch of questions. But again, everything that they did in that ancient world was perfectly natural. One nation doesn't bless another nation. One nation captures, enslaves, conquers other peoples. That's the way it works. So the Canaanites, again, were not feeling very blessed. You can imagine. Like if they had heard word of this promise, they're like, what's going on with this? Because we're not feeling very blessed at all. Um, and again, it's only, it's only offensive to us because we live on this side of Jesus and we live on this side of the Christmas story. I was talking in our Sunday school class this morning. Um, whenever Jesus arrives in a community, whether it's a town, a village, a city, a nation, that entity changes. It just changes. It com completely gets turned upside down. What, the, the things that was valued before, like power and greed and uh, vengeance, those were all very much valued in the ancient world. But when Jesus comes into a community... It all changes. It just, it, and, and it's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a cultural struggle. And we read those in the letters of Paul. You want to read about a long struggle as he goes into this pagan culture and tries to introduce Jesus into a culture that does not value the things that Jesus values. They value, again, power, prestige, vengeance. Those, those are the things that real people deal with. And weaklings, we don't, you know, we don't deal with that. We do away with weaklings. And Christ comes in and says, no, love the weak. You who are powerful, love the weak. That was so radical. You just, I don't think you understand how incredibly different it was when Christ enters a community. We living on this side of Christmas, we think, oh, this is all normal. This is the way people treat people. This is the way people are supposed to treat people. This supposed to life that we live is only 2,000 years old. Before that and before Christ comes into a community, it's dog eat dog. And that's valued. That's the people 
who eat other dogs, there we elect them as our leaders in a, in a pagan culture. I'm not saying anything about our, don't, that's not where I went. <laughs> um, so the story continues. Um, about a thousand years after Abram receives the promise, about a thousand years after he receives the promise, um, the nation of Israel comes together. They become a nation. Look up on the timeline. Saul is anointed the king. He quickly loses favor with God. And David is anointed as the new king. He's the warrior king, right? He takes the throne. He pushes Israel to its greatest heights politically and militarily. He's followed by his son Solomon. Understand now, there's only been three kings under a, over a united Israel. Right? We think, wow, there was a whole bunch of kings. No, they were over two separate kingdoms. It's almost like when you find out that the Beatles were only together for three years and they produced that much music in three years. Israel, same thing. Just three kings. Saul, David, and Solomon. And it just... <laughs> nation changes the world. Changes the world. Again, but... Now, this is important. This was the only time since the promise that the nation of Israel looked like it could become the blessing to all the other nations of the world. It was in charge of itself. They had a powerful king. They were one of the most looked upon, looked up to nations of the world in that part of the world at that time. It looked like the promise was finally going to be fulfilled and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Israel. But Solomon chose to marry the daughters of surrounding nations, worship their gods, and God kept his promise. Remember, his promise was, bless, or excuse me, obey and I'll bless you, disobey and your house will fall. Well, God kept his promise because God is faithful, right? Hit that next slide. The house falls. The house falls and there's chaos in both kingdoms for like 300 years. I'm going to show you a map right here just to kind of give you an idea. The northern nation of Israel is the 10 lost tribes of Israel, right? And the southern nation becomes known as Judah. It's the southern nation. So we no longer have a united kingdom. We have what's called the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. And then in about 722 BC, a nation up north from Nineveh, the Assyrians, they come down and they take away the northern nation. And they carry off all the important people and they leave all the, I don't know, lower middle class, I don't know what we call it. They, they leave all the, the farmers and, and, the, and, and those people behind and they, they send in a whole bunch of Assyrians and they intermarry with the Jews that are left of those, ten, those tribes. And we have what's called the Samaritan people are birthed out of this two different peoples. And the pure-blood Jews from down in Judah, they would look on those Samaritans, half-bloods, half-breeds, right? They're not pure because they mixed with the Assyrians, right? So, ten lost tribes are gone. Um, and then Israel can no longer even bless herself, much less other nations, because half of their nation, ten of the twelve tribes are now gone. And in the midst of all this, now this is, this is the killer part, in the midst of all this, God sends his prophet Isaiah, okay? Understand, nothing's going according to plan. This promise, they all remember it, they all know it but it looks like the promise is definitely off and then he sent in the midst of all of this then both nations carried away in captivity right in the midst of all that or this the this northern nation being carried away he sends isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says i will make you a light for the gentiles now understand again consider the position right in half of their nation is gone two-thirds of their nation is gone carried away into captivity and god sends this messenger and says hey I'm going to make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And they've got to be thinking to themselves, you've got to be kidding me. We can't even save ourselves. Isaiah, you're nuts. I don't know who you're representing, but stop talking like that. 
And then bad goes to worse. The southern nation gets carried off into captivity by Babylon. 150 years after the northern nation gets carried off into captivity, southern nation, the temples leveled, the city burned to the ground, the best and the brightest carted off to, Ab to Babylon. Seventy years later, the Persians replaced the Babylonians. A guy named Cyrus the Great frees the Jews, returned to rebuild the temple. It was an ugly, it was a horrible, it's, we call it the second temple, but it's not the second temple that you all see in pictures of the western wall. Uh, the old men who remembered, they looked at it and they cried. It was such a sad affair. Now, the temple you all are aware of was built by King Herod all the way about, about 10, 15 years, 20 years before Christ arrives on the scene. So that's like the second temple. But way back in, in 540, there was a second temple, but it was just a joke. It was, it was horrible. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, God sends another prophet. It's like God hasn't forgotten the promise, but the people have pretty much given up on the promise. Again, maybe you're in that position. You're close to giving up on that promise, but I'm just telling you, if it's a promise from God, he has not given up on the promise yet. And I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But you need to know this morning, he has not given up. If he gave the promise, he has not given up. It says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, says, My name will be great among the nations. Again, they've got to be thinking to themselves, they've got to be kidding. Your name is mocked among the nations. You're saying your name is great? Your name is mocked among the, great, the, the nations. Great? That guy named Alexander, right? He's going to be great. They couldn't look into the future. But around the, in the year three, a little bit before 400 BC, a guy named Alexander comes and he conquers the entire known world, right? And he becomes known as what? Alexander the Great. And they're saying, God, you saying we're great? Yeah, we're not reading our history, same history book, right? Now, what he does is amazing. He unites the entire Mediterranean world under one language and one culture, the Greek language and the Greek culture. But again, your name, not so great. <laughs> but God continues. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where the sun sets. Not only will my name be known, but it will be known everywhere. And again, the Israelites are... God, are you talking about the same people here? We're in captivity. We don't even have our, our name. We have no land. We have no temple. We have nothing. And you're still harping on this crazy dream. You're like, give it a rest. I'm thinking a lot of them were like, God, just give it a rest. You're killing us. You're just, you're killing us here. From where the sun rises and to where the sun sets, my name will not only be known, but it will be known everywhere. Not only that, he continues in verse 11, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. My name, it says, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. So not only will my name be known, not only will my name be known everywhere, but my name will be known everywhere and worshipped everywhere. And again, kind of enter the Jew's head. See the eyes rolling. You can almost hear their eyes rolling. Like, okay, whatever. All right, okay. And then to add injury to insult. <laughs> Even if they were thinking, okay, 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 okay. God's still in it. God's still in it. God's still in it. <laughs> what happens next? Uh, a guy named Pompey. Rome sends Pompey to put down a rebellion in 63 years before Christ. Um, and now the Greeks are thrown off. They were bad. They were crazy evil. But the Romans were even worse. The Romans were straight up evil empire. When you read in the book of Revelation or really any of the gospels, any of the letters, whenever they talk about Rome and Babylon, Rome and Babylon are always 
evil, evil, evil. Babylon particularly, evil. The, the, the root of evil is, is Babylon. It's just like Babylon, bad, 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 bad. Right? So, the Romans come in. The Romans, they're, they're horrible, just as bad as the Babylonians. They replace the former Greek rulers. Um, and it appears, again, that all the nations of the earth would not be blessed. Because the Romans were not a blessing-type people. They were, we will conquer you, and you will go and live according to our rules, or we will simply kill you. Make up your mind very quickly. Hurry up. Bam. That was it. That was, that was the way they rolled. So, all the nations of the earth would not be blessed through Abraham. Because nobody's interested in a God that can't take care of his own people. The whole known world, they hear about this. They hear about this stuff and they, your God can't even take care of you guys. And you're saying that your God is going to bless all of us? You don't even exist as a people anymore. What? What makes the Christmas story so incredibly remarkable is when things couldn't have gotten any worse, when things couldn't have gotten sunken any lower, when things couldn't have gone south any worse, God steps in. The Apostle Paul, years later, reflects, and he writes this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when the set time had come, when God had everything that he wanted, right? A common language, a sophisticated Greek language, culture with Roman power in reach. The Pax Romana, the beginning of the Roman Empire, they weren't all that bad. It was called the Peace of Rome because their roads, their systems. I mean, people could gather, get around the Mediterranean world for the very first time relatively safe. Relatively safe, again. Very, very violent uh, time, part of the world. Um, a time when God could get the undivided attention of the world and get an idea of peace and love across to the most people that would bless every single person on earth. And just when everybody had lost hope, God steps in and fulfills the unbelievable, the incoherent, and the impossible dreams. And again, you all have heard stories. You know people. This is their story. And they would tell you their story, that it was impossible, it was incoherent, it was, there's just no way, and yet God came through. How many of you heard people talk about stories like that, right? Those are testimonies to God's power. Those are powerful, powerful, powerful testimonies. And again, just when everybody had lost hope, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. When everybody had lost hope, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And what's the virgin's name? What was the virgin's name? You understand that everybody around the world is going to be re reading this story over the course of the next month, and the whole world is going to know the virgin's name. That's, that's pretty cool. The whole world is going to know. Verse 27, 28, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And understand that nobody in that part of the world had felt blessed or favored by God in like a thousand plus years. And Mary's thinking, What? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The passage continues, verse 31, 30 and 31. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And again, you think about that dream, think about Mary, her situation, talk about it, 
<laughs> an unbelievable, incoherent, impossible dream. My kid, <laughs> my kid is going to all, nonetheless, all the world is going to be blessed. Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. Again, the story of Christmas is probably most amazing when you consider the whole backstory that at that set time, all of that waiting, all of those expectations, all of that building steam, building momentum, like a volcano about to explode. And then at just that right time, the most amazing thing is 3,000 years of a continuing, continued story of trustworthiness on God's part. He just doesn't stop. If he says something's going to happen, you need to plan on it, right? Plan on it. His promises come true. They just do. So who needs a reason for Christmas? The world needed a reason for Christmas. The world desperately needed Jesus Christ. And again, this week, check into history before Christ, B.C., and just look at some of the cultures. Look at, wow, this side of Christmas. You bow your heads. Father, we are so blessed to be living on this side of Christmas. And yet there are a lot of people, even in this culture, that live as if Christmas never happened. As if something didn't happen that fundamentally changed the entire history of humanity. But Lord, if we're wise and if we just look back, it's, it's impossible not to see. That Father, when your son comes into a community, he changes everything. People's stories that were lost, there's no hope. They find hope. And a well-placed hope because you, you deliver the peace and the love that we so desperately search for. So Father, this morning, and again in this Christmas season, Help us be aware of the people around us who are still searching, not to make the assumption that they have found the reason for the season, but gently and with love and care, maybe we can tell the story. Maybe we can retell the backstory now. And people can kind of get their minds off some of the happenings of the actual Christmas story and they can focus on, Father, what you did in history, how you changed everything. And you continue to do that. It hasn't stopped. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Christmas. Your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here. Next week, mini cantata. It's going to be amazing. Bring some friends out. It's going to be a good week.